Come to 1 Peter. We're still in chapter 1, verses 17 to 21. Peter is writing to a suffering church. He speaks to them of the truth that they are bought with a price. That God has redeemed them. They are redeemed people. A blood-bought people. Hear then the Word of God. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed, from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It is like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world. But He was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, for your sake, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning. And we could be so many other places doing so many other things. We're here. And where two or three are gathered in your name, where two and three hundred are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. Oh, this is the promise we claim. We long for you to be with us now, to speak into our lives the truth and power of your word, that we might be transformed, that we might be like Christ, that we might be your people in the midst of a hostile world. We ask and we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've said already, Peter is writing to a church, uh, to, writing to the church, to, to the church, God's people, to encourage them to be godly, to be faithful, to live before Him in the midst of a hostile world. It's a world that is not only hostile to the Creator, is living in rebellion against His Word and against His commands against his gospel, but he's also hostile to all of us, all of those who would align themselves with him. If you would take the name of Christ, the world rejects. You and I are really just beginning to experience some of this in our own culture, because Western culture, which has seen the, really the dominance of a Judeo-Christian worldview over the last centuries, is now beginning to reject that Judeo-Christian worldview. We've seen it happen and sweep across Europe and uh, England and all those places which used to have the same heritage but are now largely secular. We see it creeping in here, moving in this direction as we move away from our roots. We reject biblical morality and a biblical worldview and we are becoming more and more than as those who claim the name and follow Christ marginalized and at times even becoming attacked you hold certain positions, they're not tolerated in our culture. This is something that Peter understood because the churches that he is writing to are experiencing these very things. They are already marginalized. They are already in a a culture that rejects biblical morality, that rejects a biblical worldview. And they're already experiencing the suffering that comes when a culture rejects you and begins to turn on you. It is soon after Peter writes this letter to a suffering church that he himself is crucified in Rome because he's a Christian. 
in the last couple of weeks that 21 Coptic Christians, Egyptian Christians, were beheaded on the shores of Libya. And the executioner stood on the shore as they did a very brutal form. It's not quick and nice the way they do it. And he stood on the shores and he pointed across the Mediterranean Sea as he stood on the shores of Libya and he pointed across the Mediterranean Sea and said, we're coming to Rome. Now you and I don't have a lot of affinity to Rome because we are not Catholic. But you need to understand that for folks like those and a lot who stand on the outside, they see Rome as the center of Christianity. They see Rome as ground zero for the church of Jesus Christ. And when he stands on the shore killing Christians and pointing across the sea and said, we're coming for you. Last week, another 300 to 400 Christians, men, women, children, were kidnapped. We simply wait for the video. The Islamic State standard operating procedure to kill, slaughter, and slave all who disagree, especially if you're Christian. And if they have their way and their ideology wins enough hearts and minds around the world using the internet and the technology that is there, if they can win enough hearts and minds, their goal would be to conquer the world. And they've made it very clear. One caliphate dominating the world. Radical militant religion on one side, a growing secularism and an anti God sentiment that grows on the other side that thinks religion is the problem because of its radical forms. But my friend, this is the world in which you and I are called to live as the children of God. You and I are called to live bearing the name of Christ boldly and proudly as some as they're being executed on the beaches of Libya cry out the name of Jesus. Peter writes to these guys and he says, if you call on Him, verse 17, if you call on Him as Father, right? if you claim to be His children, right? if you call on Him and pray to Him in your times of distress and you believe in this God, conduct yourselves, he says, in a certain way. If you call Him in His Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves in a certain way. In the word, there's a great little Greek word there, anastrophe, the, your lifestyle, the way that you live, your way of life, the way that you live and move and have your being, this, this little idea of the way we conduct ourselves, a specific lifestyle. He says if you call on Him His Father, there's a specific way that He calls us to live, to, to be. If you call on Him His Father, He says, then act like this. Now, if not, okay. Right? If not, then that, that's a whole other deal. If you don't call on Him as Father, if you don't trust in Christ, if you reject God and are hostile in that sense like much of the world, He says, well, that's another story. Go ahead and blend in. Go ahead and do your own thing. You know, go ahead and wait for that day. But why would you call on me as Father, He says, for those of us who do, and not live before me as if you were my children. Right? Jesus says a similar thing. He's been saying it in this passage. If you go back and He says, you know, it says, obedient children, be holy because I am holy. Right? Conduct yourselves in all of your life in a particular way because of who I am and who you are to me. 
And so he says, why do you call on me as father if you're not going to live before me? That lifestyle, that way of life that is following after Christ. Jesus says it this way. It's here in your bulletin under the first point. Jesus says in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. It's a great question. God's saying it here. If you call on Him His Father, you conduct yourself like this. Why would you call Him Lord, Lord? And then not do what He says. Not live before Him as His children. As He says, He has designed and called us to be. And the Bible says, it's just like James when he says, you know, don't be only hearers of the Word, but doers only. Don't just hear the Word and say, Lord, Lord, but then not do what I say and live that life and be my people because the people of God are a, hu- a new humanity. We are, a, in that sense, a third race. We're not the religions that are over there and we're not secular humanism over there. We are, we are a new humanity. He says that where Adam fell and was lost in Christ, we're being recreated in the, in the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness that we are this new people of God, redeemed in Christ, being made like Christ to live in this world as His people. And so in verse 17 though, he says something that sounds very strange, doesn't he? Because he says, if you call on Him as Father, you know, the one who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, the judge of all the earth, the God who is God to whom we are all accountable because we are His creatures. If you call on this one, he says, conduct yourselves. And he says, with fear throughout the time of your exile. You know, I don't know about you, that's not the immediate thing that I would say. That sounds a little strange to me. Why would you say if you call on Him as Father, live before Him in fear? Or you would expect Him to say something, live before Him in confidence. Right? Live before Him, you know, without any worries. But He doesn't say that. So how do these two things go together? This idea that we would call on Him as Father, and yet that we would live before Him in fear. And here's the thing. We're to do both. We're to approach His throne, you know, as Hebrews says, we're to come before His throne in our time of need with confidence because it's a throne of mercy. Jesus says when you pray to Him, pray like this, pray, Our Father, you know, own Him as your Father and come to Him confidently and intimately. Talk to Him as, as your Father, right? There is this confidence, this beautiful thing, but this fear that He is talking about is a fear that is compatible with everything that he said. You know, if you look back at the whole first part of 1 Peter, there is a fear that is compatible with verse 8. Right? Where he says, Oh, you've not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory and you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. There is a, a joy that is inexpressible and glorious as we know that we are being saved, that he is working out and keeping his promises and he's keeping our inheritance and he's keeping us for our inheritance. There is this joy, he says, that is not incompatible with the fear he's talking about. The fear of the Lord is a rich biblical theme. It's a theme that goes all the way back to Genesis. Where Abraham spoke of the fear of God before their eyes. And it's a theme that runs through all of the Old Testament and the Psalms and the prophets and in through the New Testament. This this fear of the Lord which is a mark of God's people. It's one of the things that mark us as who we are as His people. 
It's not the same as what, I don't know what you'd call regular fear. You know, the, the fear that you think of when you think of, say, judgment. Because there is an appropriate and universal fear uh, of the Lord, right? He speaks of it in a sense, he hints at it in verse 17 when he says, you call on him his father who judges impartially according to each man's deeds. And he is the judge of all the earth. Right? Romans 3 speaks about every mouth being silenced and the whole world being held accountable to this God. Right? In other words, there is, there is good reason to fear God. But there's good news. Right? And that's for His people. Right? There is good news. And the good news is in Romans 8, it's there in your bulletin under the second point, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? If He judges impartially according to each man's deeds, I may fear that judgment when He judges my deeds, unless I'm in Christ Jesus where He says, now there's no condemnation. I fear no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He says it like this in 1 John 4.18. It's the next verse there in your bulletin. He says there's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. But Romans 8 says that there is no condemnation. There is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so perfect love casts out fear. Because it has to do with judgment. The one thing or one thing that we are delivered from in Christ. Where we are loved and forgiven justified, made right with God. And so for us, and here's the thing, there is, a, there is this right fear that God is the judge and we will all stand before Him on this one day. But for those of us who are in Christ, where there is no more condemnation, that fear is transformed. And it does have a form in our lives and experience. But it's transformed, it's changed into this thing, that the fear of the Lord, which is different. It's transformed. Why? Because God is still awesome. Right? God is still powerful. He is still holy. He is still just. He is, he is still going to call the world to account. That day is still coming. All of those things are still true, even when we're in Christ. But now as His children, the terror of judgment is transformed into awe, right? to reverence, into worship, into adoration. This God who will call the world into account. We get to come. We're in His presence this morning. And there's no fear of condemnation, but He is the same God. And that fear that we, we don't have to fear punishment and condemnation anymore, there is still an awe that this God, this Creator, this One has loved me in Christ and He has saved me and that He allows me to come before Him and He says that we can call Him Father and we can cry out to Him in our time of need and that He protects us and all our sins are washed away. And so there is a fear of the Lord that belongs to His people because He is still God. But it is now a worship, a reverence, an awe. That this is the God with whom we have to do. And we call Him Father. Perfect love has cast out our fear of punishment. As obedient children, then we live under His Lordship. He is still the King. And we live under His Lordship in awe and in worship. 
Proverbs 9.10, it's there in your bulletin. It says this, the Old Testament. He says, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. It's where wisdom starts. Until you have this view of God, you cannot be wise. You do not know how to live in this world. You do not know what to think or what to feel or how to live. What is right, what is wrong. Until we have this vision of who He is, it is the knowledge of God where we have come to the place of reverence and awe and worship that wisdom begins and we know what it is to live before this God with whom we have to do. Right, Proverbs 8, he says, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. To worship this God is to conform to His holiness. To love Him is to hate evil. Right? And we see this. This is the beginning of wisdom. To love a God of holiness and to call sin, sin, and evil, evil, and to forsake it and to hate it. To learn to hate our sin and not live in it. Or Ecclesiastes 12.13, he says this, right? The end of the matter is this. Ecclesiastes is that book that looks at all of life and evaluates it and says, this is vanity, that is vanity, all is vanity, it's all meaningless. You know, and he goes through the whole thing and he gets to the end and he says this though. Then at the end he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard, this is the deal. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is what it's all about, my friends. For all the vanity and the futility, this is what it's about. The whole duty is to fear and to obey, to worship Him and to submit to Him, to walk with Him in obedience. The joy of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and the Scripture belong together. These are His people. The joy of the Lord and the fear of the Lord belong together, not only in the Scripture, but in our hearts. They should dwell together here. Where perfect love is cast out the fear of judgment and punishment. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of our wisdom and a worship and a awe that we live before this one. John Murray says the fear of God there in your bulletin. The fear of God is the soul of godliness. This love and this reverence. This joy and this submission. The fear of the Lord is this attitude of the heart then. It lives, it's an attitude of the heart that lives with this God consciousness. Right? That we, are, we live in the awareness of this God who made us, with whom we have to do, and one day who we will stand before on our own merits or in Christ. So we live with this sense of God. The fear of the Lord. This sense of God in everything. In the way we're married, there should be a sense of this God with whom we have to do and how we do it and how we treat each other and whether we seek His wisdom in how to do it, the, the, the wisdom that begins with that fear and how we, what kind of employees we are and how we treat people around us, what kind of spirit we have about us. It says here, one, one commentator said, it's that controlling sense of majesty and holiness of God and the profound reverence and the way of life that it elicits. The Almighty God, the judge of all the earth, is now our Father in Christ. And some say, you know what? It's too easy for, to be in Christ and to be, and to be forgiven like this. And the problem is, and one of the things that can happen, is that, that this sense that God is our Father, our buddy, and you hear people saying that kind of thing, you know, and start treating God uh, very flippantly and this kind of thing, is that we can become careless. 
And I think what he is saying, and I think part of what is this, is that the idea that this God who is the judge of all the earth, who has become our Father, should not produce in us carelessness, but holiness and reverence and worship. 2 Corinthians 7.1, there in your bulletin under the second point still, he says, since we have these promises... All the promises of chapter 1 that He has chosen us and that He has foreknown us and He has sanctified us and He has brought us to obedience in Christ and He has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Right, That He has an inheritance for us and He's keeping us for that inheritance. And He says, because we have all of these promises, beloved children, beloved of God, let us not become careless. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, being holy because He is holy, bringing that holiness to completion, seeking to be like Christ and do it, He says, in the fear of God. Beloved, live in the fear of God. Beloved, where perfect love is cast out fear of punishment and judgment. Live in the fear of God, the God with whom we have to do. Colossians 3.22, he says, Obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters. And there you can put your employer. If you're a child in here today, there you can put your parents. Right? You can put all those whom God has placed in authority over you. Obey in everything. Those who are those who are in authority over you. Not by way of eye service because they're watching or as people pleasers to please them in some way. But rather with a sincerity of heart Fearing the Lord. In other words, you, you, you do what you're supposed to do, right? And you do it well with all of your heart. You, because you work not as unto man, but you work with a sense of God. Who He is. And that I will stay. I'm His child. And I'm going to live like it. And so I'm going to be your best employee. I'm going to be the most honest person you know. I'm going to be the most faithful person you know. Not because you're watching me. Not when, only when you can see me. Who you are when no one is looking should be with a strong sense of who He is. A sense of God that we live in the fear of at all times. For those who live in this reverence and submission, those who live with this sense of God, who know Him and love Him and walk with Him, who know Him and love Him and walk with Him. He says we live under His care and protection. He is guarding us by His power for that day. And there you have under the second point again, Psalm 34.7, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, the power of God encamps around those who fear Him. And He delivers them. Or Psalm 34.9, Oh, fear the Lord. You His saints. You His people. You His beloved. Especially you fear Yahweh for those who fear Him lack nothing. He is their Father. And He cares for them. And so He says we are to live before Him as His children. We are to live before Him in fear. And He also says we are to live before Him as those who have been redeemed. As a redeemed people. As the redeemed of the Lord. Right in verse 18, He goes on to say, not only are you to live in fear throughout your time of exile, He says do this knowing, knowing that you are Ransomed. Ransomed from the futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers. 
Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world. It has been God's plan since before the world began that in time He would manifest His Son to offer Him as a ransom. So with His blood, He would purchase your soul to be His own, to be His people. Right, so he says, live in fear knowing this, that you've been ransomed by God. Ransom means uh, that you've been bought and paid for. That's what it means, right? If you ransom, I don't know if you know the whole idea of being ransomed, and you can, it's often translated right there as redeemed. Same word, same idea. They're similar concepts. The whole idea is if you had given something to the pawn shop, you can't get it back until you redeem it. You've got to pay to get it back. Right? If you're a prisoner of war, it's not it's very often. In fact, you know, the, the terrorists try to do it. They will kidnap someone and try to get you to ransom them, to redeem them, to pay a price to get them back. If you have prisoners of war, that often happens. Or sometimes in slavery, you can pay the price of a slave, not to buy them for yourself, but you can pay the cost of the slave to set them free, to redeem them. And so he says that he has... We are to live before God in fear as His children, knowing that He has redeemed us. Right? That that's who we are. That's who He's talking about. That He has paid the price to buy us back. To buy us out of our slavery. It is deep in the psyche of God's people throughout all ages. This idea that they were redeemed. Redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Right? The, the blood of the... Passover lamb on the doorpost where God passes them over and delivers them from their slavery. That they are under the blood of the lamb. They were, there was no more condemnation. And their children lived and He redeems them and delivers them out into freedom. The Lord redeems His servants. Under your last point, Psalm 34, the Lord redeems his, the life of His servants and those who take refuge in Him. Let me just run through what we're redeemed from, what we're redeemed with, and what we're redeemed for. And they're in the passage very clearly, and you already know them pretty well. But what, we were ransomed from what? And he says, you were ransomed from the futile way of life that you inherit from your forefathers, or that you inherit from the culture. That you inherit from the culture that is around us. A futile way of life. He says you're saved from a meaningless life. A life that goes nowhere. A life that on that day when you stand before the one who judges everyone impartially according to their deeds, that we haven't lived without that day in view. To live for ourselves and to live only for this life, he says, is meaningless. But we live for God and we live for eternal things. And for the day we will not only see Him but live with Him. He says that has meaning. But to live for ourselves and to live for this life is futile. Jesus says, what will it profit a man? There in your bulletin under the last point. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. Right? What if, he, if he gains, in other words, he lives for himself, gaining stuff in this world, and gains the whole world. Right? Lives for this life. He gets, you know, what does it profit a man if that's what he does? And he just kind of lives and, and soaks it in for pleasure and stuff and whatever. He, lives, he gains the whole world, he says, but... He forfeits his soul. This too is meaningless. It's a futile life that ends in deep sadness. To not live for that day. To not live for eternity. To not live for God, he says, is futile. And it's meaningless. And it will end badly. 
And so the Father redeems the life of His servants. And how does He redeem? He ransomed them with what? With what does God pay? And you know that here we begin to glimpse the greatness of His love for us. That perfect love that casts out fear. Because it has to do with punishment. We see and glimpse the greatness of His love because He does not pay, verse 18, with perishable currency. He doesn't pay with gold and silver. He doesn't use the contents of Fort Knox. However many billions, assuming the gold is still in there. I'm not sure the History Channel, they're, they're iffy on that. You know, but, but if it's still in there, you know, it's a lot of gold. And He says He doesn't use these things. These are perishable things. These are things that fade with this world. He doesn't buy us with this stuff of the earth. But in verse 19, he says, he purchases us with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or spot. Pulling to mind the Old Testament sacrifices. A lamb, the most valuable thing in your flock was an unblemished, healthy lamb. The most valuable thing to you and to your wealth and to your your livelihood was the unblemished, perfect spotless lamb. Jesus died then as a substitute, as a lamb. He gave His lifeblood. And that's what we need to understand. There's nothing, there's nothing magic in the blood. When He says that he, that he shed His blood or was with His blood, it means that He gave His life. The life is in the blood. And He gave His lifeblood. He died for us. He, 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 he died the death that we deserve to die. He died in our place. He died as our substitute. He paid our debt. We have a life debt. And He paid it with His life to ransom us back to God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we come back to where we started. Ransomed for what? You know for what. It's where we started. You're bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 6, it's here in your bulletin. It says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit is within you? He's caused you to be born again into a living hope with placing His Spirit in us whom you have from God. He says, so you are not your own. You are bought with a price. God has claimed us as His own. He has claimed us at the cost that sears our minds with the flame of His love. If we call on Him as Father, and we live before Him as His children with a sense of God, with a sense of who He is and what He has done, the price He has paid, that He has ransomed us and we are His. And let me just say as we close that we also live not only as His children and live in the fear before Him and live as a redeemed people, we live as a missional people because we must counter the mission that is out there right now. You know, radical Islam, they're on a mission to conquer the world, right? This is their goal. It is a stated goal. It's not hidden. It's not, they want a one world caliphate under which they will rule and they will submit every human being to Sharia law, a barbaric law where they will cut off your hands and your heads in, in, uh, in the process. They, they want to submit the whole world. And their weapon of conquest is the sword. You will submit or you will die. You know, similar, Christianity has a similar goal. In this one way, we too want to conquer the world. Christ says He is building His church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. 
He is advancing His kingdom. And until the knowledge of Him covers the earth like the waters cover the seas. His goal, our goal, in that sense is the same. We intend to conquer the world. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. We don't come with the sword, but we come with the Gospel. The message of this spotless Lamb who died to redeem. Jesus shed His precious blood to put an end to bloodshed. To put away the sword. To save and to redeem and to bring peace. The message of Christmas. Peace on earth. Jesus and His church want to conquer the world. We want to bring every heart to the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. But the weapons of our warfare, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's the message of Christ. Of this Lamb, this spotless Lamb who died to pay our price and to save us from barbarity, from bloodshed, from death. This is why in every Muslim country in the world, it is illegal to open your mouth and preach the Gospel. They fear the preaching of Christ. They keep control by silencing the Word of God. By silencing the Gospel. You may not speak it, or we will kill you. This is the only way we can win. Because the Gospel will set you free. And those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. So let us live then before our God as a blood-bought people. To live before Him in both joy and in fear. To live before Him with the Gospel of Jesus on our lips. Conquering one heart at a time. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have come this morning to You and to Your Word. Because it is living and it is true. And here we see ourselves. And here we see You. And here we see... We see... You are beautiful in holiness. You are the God who made all things and You are good and right and pure. You are light and in You there is no darkness at all. And You have redeemed us to be Your people. And You have made us a people of light. Help us, Father, to never lose sight of this God with whom we have to do. And we fix our eyes on Jesus and live our lives before You in fear. Not ashamed of the Gospel, For it is the power of God for the salvation of all who will believe and put their trust in Jesus. In whose name we pray and ask. Amen.